You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the Doctor Who animated reconstruction of Fury from the Deep. The TARDIS arrives at sea near the English coast. The Doctor, Jamie, and Victoria soon find themselves curious about a mysterious sound coming from an offshore pipeline. Before they can investigate much, they are shot by tranquilizer darts and taken prisoner at the nearby ESCO facility. This is a multinational project to extract gas from the North Sea, and they're experiencing a mysterious slowdown in the rate of gas being pumped ashore. They are questioned by Robson. Robson is an unpleasant sort of human being, stubborn, proud, arrogant, self-certain, angry, abrasive, dismissive of experts and other opinions, driven by unrealistic goals, and just generally obnoxious exactly the kind of person you'd put in charge of a critical piece of infrastructure. He, of course, doesn't believe their story, but is too busy to bother with them at the moment. There's a problem with the offshore rigs going silent and the rate of flow diminishing, and that has his attention at the moment. Second-in-command Harris's wife is stung by a piece of seaweed, seaweed that was meant for Harris. She begins to feel unwell. When the doctor and the gang escape, they separate, and Victoria is nearly killed when she is locked in a room with a seaweed monster, but something sends it packing. The base doctor has gone to the rigs and fallen out of communication, and with the base on lockdown, Harris turns to the doctor and asks him to help his wife. The doctor can't find anything wrong, and they leave her to rest. Soon, two men from the base, Oak and Quill, arrive tamper with the Harris's gas stove, and incapacitate Harris's wife with their bad breath. At the base, the impeller comes to a stop, and many people, including Robson at least, hear the mysterious heartbeat-like sound coming from the pipeline. The doctor in the TARDIS analyzes a sample of seaweed taken at the Harris's cottage. It thrives on gas, and it emits a toxic gas byproduct. The Doctor finds a book on mythology and thinks he's identified the creature as something from folklore, a giant seaweed monster that attacks ships at sea. The weed begins to attack them, but once again, something sends it packing. In the base, Van Lutten, a Dutch consultant, Harris, and the chief of operations stand up to Robson. He doesn't take it well, and he shouts at them, and then takes a nap. During his nap, Mr. Quill releases gas and seaweed at him. Harris arrives in time to see Robson run out, clutching his face, and to see the seaweed creature in the room. At Harris's cottage, the doctor discovers Mrs. Harris is missing. They are attacked by seaweed, and yet again, something is giving the seaweed pause when it attacks them. On the beach, Robson meets with Harris's wife. They are both in the thrall of the seaweed, and after giving instructions to Robson, she walks into the sea. Robson isn't acting well and goes missing. He's found in his quarters sleeping, so they... Put a guard on him. Van Luttens goes down into the shaft to see what is causing the problems. Oak and Quill work the elevator, and Van Luttens is attacked down below and taken. The Doctor and Jamie follow, but Oak and Quill strand them down there. Harris is called in Mrs. Jones, the big boss, over his concerns. She's an old friend of Robson, and she goes to see him. He's mostly incoherent, but when she leaves, he attacks his guard and escapes. The Doctor and Jamie escape via ladder and Victoria is captured by Robson. 
All of the rigs are now out of communication, and Harris wants to bomb them. But the doctor suggests that, without knowing where the creature's nerve center is, the attack would just make things worse. Robson calls from the rig. He's got Victoria, and he wants the doctor to come join them. Of course, the doctor can't leave Victoria, so he and Jamie take a helicopter to the rig. It is a trap, but they find Victoria, and with her screaming all the way, they make their escape in a helicopter. The doctor has figured out what the seaweed's weakness is. It, like the audience, doesn't like the shrill sound of Victoria screaming at the top of her lungs. He rigs up a gizmo that plays back a sound loop of Victoria's screams, and the monster is vanquished. Victoria has been deeply troubled throughout the entire adventure. She's scared all the time, everywhere they go, and she decides to remain on Earth with the Harrises. The doctor and Jamie, saddened, depart without her. The end. Fury of the Deep. Victor Pemberton, I believe, right? Victor Pemberton, indeed, yes. Inspired by a, a radio serial he wrote. That's right. I think he also uh, failed to get this made into an episode uh, earlier uh, in the series, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I think, the that, I think there had before, to be some, yeah. <clears throat> some changes made. I don't know what they were, as I haven't actually listened to the radio series, but um, it is on the on the uh, Blu-ray release of the animation, so mm. it is available mm. to, to hear. Yes. Uh, I also, too, have not listened to that as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you think of Fury from the Deep? I found myself getting quite into it, actually. I mean, it was a story where it felt for quite a lot of it, nothing much was happening. It certainly didn't feel like it had necessarily justified the six episode running length when I was sort of about three episodes in. And then I, I, I don't, I don't quite know at what point, but it somehow it did, it just sort of clicked for me. Um, and I realized that I was, I was really enjoying it. I mean, obviously I was enjoying it already because it's new, unseen um, Patrick Troughton Doctor Who. And obviously I love that. But, you know, with it, it set against the, the benchmark average for those stories, I was, I, was, I was actually starting to think, yep, actually this is, this is really enjoyable. I think possibly the, the Victoria departure arc that was developing was starting to come to the fore and i and i think that that actually ended up working really rather well i think it's difficult for to do a good companion departure and this was not at all bad and i started to appreciate a number of the the dynamics the sort of central relationships that had been established in this which turned out to be quite interesting as the as the story developed plus i've got to say for a dudley simpson score i really liked this really <laughs> it was reminding me of another score that i couldn't put my finger on but dudley simpson scores often do but it it really was reminding me of one that i just can't quite I, place yet it's of a similar era i i think but i think it's probably the favorite of the Dudley Simpson scores that I can bring to mind. Uh, mm. And I, I think that is, that's partly to, um, because it's, it, the atmosphere in this story is, is very 
important you know it's i mean it's essentially a kind of a base under siege type story albeit with a bit of a an excursion in episode five and so the kind of sense of uh, claustrophobia is important and i think the music and the sound design combined really contribute to creating that atmosphere and so in a way if you know given that we no longer have any of the visuals for this story it's maybe a story for which that is less important because there's so much conveyed in the music and the sound Mm. well you know i'll say this um so far and i want to i want to make a completely sweeping statement so i'll stick to the trouton stories so far every one of these has been a delight to see and watch just because they're good maybe maybe they have a poor reputation with time but watching them they click they are doctor who you you it's like i really love these and uh, hmm. so I, i'll agree yeah. that it was it was uh I, I don't think it i don't think i would undo the fact that i felt that it did not justify six parts uh, I don't. It, I don't know I mean, by the, just because by the time you get to the end, you're enjoying it, doesn't mean that it wasn't dragging a little bit around two and three. And you know, you may have forgiven it, but it. Yeah, I don't think it, you can separate the. I don't think you can separate the the fact that it has time to develop as a story from the enjoyment you get to it by the time things are starting to pay off in in this the second half of the serial. I would say. Uh, I mean, there are, there are, it depends on what they removed or how they consolidated it or uh, I, I don't know, but it, it does, it felt a little stretched out and I'll, and I'll go there when I take my notes, I can kind of tell by how many lines each episode gets. There's not much in the helicopter episode, you know? (laughs) There, there is not much in that episode with the with the helicopter chase. Uh, well, not exactly helicopter chase, but uh, it, it it it's beginning to it's beginning to cut a little bit of. Well, okay, they're um, they're flying, seaweeds attacking them. Okay, and then you know you can leave it be. It it, it almost felt like they're running up and down the corridors for a while. It was it probably was that that, that is an interesting one way where you do kind of. Th- wonder because obviously the the initial decisions about what gets put on screen and how long it's on screen for are decisions that are made based on what you're seeing in the live action footage and mm-hmm. you're spending money on a helicopter you're yep. going to put it up there on screen and to be fair watching a a real helicopter is kind of exciting in a way that watching as as you know as the the animators say that watching an animated helicopter maybe isn't so much yeah i I, i'll say this though i would i would really really love to see what the heck they did in the live action because i can't imagine anything like what we saw on the screen being successfully achieved on camera There, there is just no way that there's seaweed attacking a helicopter in flight on a Doctor Who episode. That's entirely added for the animation. The seaweed 
decision was in part because the helicopter sequences do not convey the same kind of interest when they're being animated. And so the version that you see on screen or would have seen on screen or you know if if we were still able to see it would be focused on the doctor failing to drive the thing mm-hmm. and victoria screaming about that all the time yeah indeed indeed yeah so uh but you know if it, in that case then there is it still sounds some of the things that they say victoria or jamie like look out or this it, it does sound like there's a thing attacking them so not just a possibly a big rock or some water or something. It's it's look out because he's about to crash into the sea. Yeah. So it I mean it works. You're absolutely it right. It works. The, yeah. The sound fits with what the animators have done. It's a clever move. And again, I think it 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 vindicates the decision that has obviously been made. I mean, we've discussed whether it goes far enough in the past but the decision that has been made not to try and slavishly recreate what you know would have been seen on screen but in an inferior form and instead go what can we do with the animation that serves the story and if it improves it so much the better yeah that that's a, it's a tough call to make because yes i don't i certainly have no problem I means zero zero problem with the idea of saying we have this scene and this scene was wide shot close up on doctor close up on jamie close up on victoria wide shot close up on robson whatever and for them to go in and say i think we can skip some of those wide shots or we can you know we can make this room look more impressive or you know we can change the set design a bit all of those decisions not not remotely controversial to my mind i i would you know if if doctor who had been shot let's say doctor who was shot in with multiple cameras simultaneously recording and they lost camera a's footage i wouldn't have any problem with them substituting camera b's footage you know that that kind of change doesn't bother me because you are still getting the performance we're getting as much of the performance as we can from the audio here so so you know how staging how it looks a bit you know within the spirit of the original i'm fine with and i'm fine with them adding the seaweed here but it is it's another step changing what happened in the story a little bit um changing what the threat was at that moment you know it 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 does make a difference i'm okay with it but i can see how those start to get tougher and tougher calls and yet there are some places where they didn't change the sound and it's quite clear that it's wrong give us an example i'm trying to call to mind uh there's a scene where they're i think there's the scene when jamie and the doctor are climbing up the stairs the the ladder yeah i think there's a sequence where the the jamie and the doctor are probably coming out of it and he, you know, crawling out the hatchway and we're still on the ladder. Oh, I see. So we're out of sync between the action that we're, that we're being shown and the sound that yeah. we're hearing. And there's another place where it seems like they're working a door when they're not. You can hear a door creak. And then I, I can't 
remember where it was, but I remember it caught me off at the time. I go, it seems like something else is happening in this scene yeah. that we're not seeing, but I can hear it. And it sounds like somebody opening a door. And then they go out a door, and I'm just wondering if maybe the doctor was standing there and opened the door, and then they did the dialogue standing there at the open door or something like that. But, eh. <laughs> like, I, I, mean, I guess that's 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 very possible because i i mean i didn't spot those things so they didn't bother me but what i did spot i thought you might have been going to allude to was that there were a number of instances where the animation seemed to stop almost and uh, i'm not kind of going into the the quality of the animation yet but it was like nothing was happening on screen oh well the latter scene was like that because there was nobody on the scene screen at one point even though there wasn't any sound happening for you you know for the, for the action to pause for you to listen to so it was the the kind of instant where you, where you thought there it's almost like they're waiting for the next development on the soundtrack that needs to be animated mm. and where i think and obviously it's it's very very difficult to to call this without actually having the original soundtrack to play alongside the i don't i don't know i don't know quite what we call them but the the kind of um charles norton and uh you know the the, the animations from, through uh power macro terror faceless ones all coming out of the same stable and i i i'm pretty sure they actually said yes we do make cuts to the soundtrack not you know not just the Mm-hmm. the tumble machine in um macro but actually instances where there were pauses or longer pauses than they were comfortable animating to so they made a little cut to the soundtrack which again you know that's a decision to make about the fact that this is a different production to the original production but you are one step further away from that original production and so I wondered whether, because this is a, a, a different animation house being overseen by, by um, Big Finish Creative, I wondered whether they were being more precious about the original and say, oh, no, you know, oh, no, we can't cut the, Possibly. we can't make cuts to the soundtrack because that's, you know, that's, that's what we've got that belongs to the original. There, there were definitely places in this where I felt like, we were hearing too much nothing <laughs> when you know you know walking down a corridor too long or or and sometimes walking down a corridor too long too slowly because i think they were stretching it out to match how long they walked down the corridor and i and i would say that that contributed to my feeling that they could have lost an episode or two because there were sequences like that where I came to my sort of yeah, this is going. I'm on thinking a of too probably long. a few seconds rather than 25 minutes. But. Oh, I'm thinking. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm definitely. Uh, I'm not saying 25 minutes. Yes, a few seconds here and there, but that happens a few times during the course of an episode, and you start thinking, yeah, we could tighten this up. Maybe, maybe they're dragging it on because that's what happens, right? When you run short, you just add some extra stuff here and there to try to to pad it out a bit and at some point you go maybe this should have been a five-parter 
there are certainly some sequences where they come and go and uh, you, you could probably i bet you could easily lose 10 to 15 minutes without changing a thing about the story or the character development now whether you could lose 25 i don't know you know okay here's another one here, here, here. I, I but i but i i i don't want when they animate these i don't want them oh, no, no, to no, no. make those kind of changes i'm talking about I, the I, original I'm talking about it oh, sure, way back sure, to the original. Sure. I'm talking about, and I, I will say this: <clears throat> keeping with my theory that this episode was padded out to six, the character of Robson. Now you have a hard time making a convincing character like Robson, who just absolutely intransigently refuses to listen to anything that's happening, no matter what, because I am going to do it my way, and you're not going to do it, and I'm going to shut you up, and you shut up, and you shut up, and don't do it, and do that. It always feels like they had to write that character. He's like, well, he's just going to be too stupid, and that's how we're going to pad the story out for a, a bit. I mean, we can we can definitely get another 10 minutes out of this emergency if the manager in charge, <clears throat> Stallman, is too intransigent to to do anything about it because he can't be wrong and uh that that was my read on the character of robson as well he felt like a stall so i i i agree that they they do tend to rely on that for the kind of dramatic stuff having said that one of the things that i quite liked about the dynamics in this around the character of robson was the fact that the other the other more sympathetic characters in this like harris or the chief actually seem to have some respect for robson that didn't seem to be justified by the behavior that we were seeing and we were obviously you know our proxies were the doctor and the companions coming in and all they were getting was the way that robson was behaving in this situation and i liked that dramatic presentation it's 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 an interesting contradiction that you makes you want to know more because you you want to understand why it is that they are not and and obviously you've got van lutten sort of making the argument don't go along with him overrule him etc etc and we and our heroes might have some sympathy with that but you want to know okay well you know why is it that that harris and the chief are more sympathetic are willing to give robson more more slack and so you know like i say i th- I, I did enjoy the dynamics between the central characters in this and i like those relationships and, and and another thing that that kind of in a way it threw me because and i refer you know my reference to stallman is is intentional uh obviously it's intentional because i said it but uh, you know, there's another guy on a driven project, brilliant, perhaps misguided in this situation, but he's got his thing and he does things against the advice of his experts, his safety experts, his, uh, you know, because he's got to get it done exactly like Robson. And at some point during the course of Inferno, Stallman has taken over and now his behavior is still darn consistent with his behavior before he was taken over. Still got to get the drilling going. Still got to get it done. Still got to get down there. So there's not really a a, a change in the behavior of Stallman um, once he becomes contaminated. And in this episode, 
actually Robson is pretty much written out of that once he is infected. And that threw me off because, frankly, episode two, I was 100% convinced that Robson was already taken over by the seaweed. <laughs> a long time before that that we probably didn't even that he was probably already taken over before we ever met him it, it, you know i was i was because i was kind of eh, it just it's like nothing that that they everything they said to him made perfect sense and everything he said was utterly crazy oh, i've never had a slowdown in production in my entire time it's like oh come on come on <laughs> You have a problem. You you don't get to be in charge of a base like that. You don't get to be an experienced seasoned person and not know. I can I can forgive Stallman. He's a scientist. He's not the technical guy, right? He's not he's not a man who who cares about the mechanical details. He cares about the theoretical implications of his work. And all of this is just a machine to get to his goal. But Robson is a nuts and bolts guy. He should not be he should not be ignoring problems, which he is. And that's why I thought he's gotta be infected already. This is a mind control thing. I had mind control before I even knew there was mind control in this episode because and yet I he, thought and Robson yet he, was taken over. He wasn't and 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 he wasn't. <laughs> and so what so what he what he was doing was not necessarily ignoring problems he was making a judgment on problems based on on his background and his goals and that's why it was important that there was this mutual respect you know which and that that that, that it, it goes both ways in that jones also was um she says something about how his experience on on the rigs or whatever mm-hmm. it is um you know the she's she's explaining why it is that he is in that position and that he is respected in that position right so you can you can question his calls but i think what is quite nice about it is that all the way through when he is unaffected by the seaweed you can't really question his motivation and when he is affected by the seaweed you get that you do you see the conflict i i mean your point is is absolutely correct he's written out effectively for most of it but you still get to see the way it's actually affecting him and you get that kind of strange psychedelic sequence which i would love to know how they had done on the original and whether you know whether whether it was as special effecty as as that but it it does it's very effective i think in conveying the fact that he is he is single-minded and he is behaving in a certain way that you can criticise, but he is doing it out of a very clear motivation that is not shared by the seaweed stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, this is a, a Doctor Who um, stereotype that they like to throw out there. They're, I'm sure we can come up with others. It's usually scientists, but still, it's... Uh... But you can't, you can't criticise... Pemberton for copying Stallman from Inferno. No, 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 given, no, no. I wasn't. I wasn't. Given no, the I'm sure we can find. In. I'm sure we can find earlier examples of the the guy who 
won't listen to anybody around him. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, it, it's come up, uh, it's come up, I'm sure, prior to this. I'll have to go look to verify it, but I'd, I'd be willing to bet that there's at least one uh, along the way. Stallman was yeah, just I mean, the most fairness, it... obvious example because Stallman is also taken over. Um, you know, there's also uh, scientists in Planet of Evil, Sorn, Sornberg, Stallman, no, not Stallman, something like that. Um, but but in, fair, in fairness, there have been occasions when the Doctor will not listen to anyone else and is incredibly single-minded. It's just that he happens to be right, right. and Robson happens to be wrong. Correct, correct. So, yeah. Uh, fill me in here. Um, North Sea uh, obviously is a place where there are rigs because that was a that was a thing. I assume that they still pump stuff out of the North Sea to this day. Yep. Um, I thought it was petroleum, not natural gas. Well, am I? It would. It would be. It's oil. Yeah, but. Obviously, the gas would be a potential byproduct of that. I don't think it's ever been exploited, but I don't know. Okay, I, yeah, I, don't I wasn't know aware that natural what, gas was necessarily a, a byproduct of petroleum extraction, but I thought those were two different two different things that you uh, mined for. But I, I don't know, mined for, drilled for. But I, I genuinely don't know. I just always thought it was petroleum they were extracting out in the North Sea. And they wouldn't be, you know, the pipelines would be bringing in fluid, not. But they weren't. They weren't necessarily. Nineteen sixty-eight. This would have been very early, early days for North Sea oil, I think. Okay, that's that's the other thing that that I question about the timeline of that, because obviously in um, Terror of the Saigons, oil rigs, North Sea, which leads me to my other question: Does England? With chalk cliffs even border on the North Sea? I, I mean, to me, chalk cliffs, I always think of the Dover side. I don't I don't know how I, that goes. But North Sea, I, I thought, was basically Scotland. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, obviously the oil, the, the oil rigs would be a long, long way off the coast. I don't know whether there is chalk anywhere along... That coast, yeah, I, it's a good question. I don't know. I'm not a. I'm not a geologist. Yeah, it's you know, I'm my my knowledge of England's coasts is extremely extremely limited. I know you know when you see pictures of the Hebrides, uh, it's just rocky, and if you see pictures of like the Jurassic Coast, I don't believe that's chalk. That's all uh, probably a, a shale or limestone. Uh, formations and but whenever somebody talks about the, the the white cliffs you're talking about southern england and and the chalk downs or whatever they well, call a lot them. of chalk it's a lot of chalk yeah bit bits of the south coast yeah i knew that was basically the underlying ground in a lot of places there uh but cut the cut the grass off and find chalk yeah kind of thing well it, it is but i mean it changes quite i mean there are there are bits of the coast that are extremely varied in their geology. I know a beach where there are six different types of rock 
in the cliffs from one end of the beach to the other. Uh, on on the on the on the question of the timing, I'm trying to find out what the timing of of um, North Sea oil was, and it and it seems that um, BP found gas in the North Sea in 1965, and there were other gas fields discovered between them uh, between then and 1968. Fury from the Deep is 68, isn't it? Uh, I guess it might have right. been filmed the previous year but it, it was broadcast in 1968 and then the situation was transformed says wikipedia in 69 when phillips petroleum discovered oil in the chalk of Danaanian age there you go some chalk in the north sea at ecofisk in norwegian waters so from the sound of that at the time when the story would have been written drilling for gas would have been more probable than finding oil. Okay, and as you say, this was a, a, an older radio play, so it, it could have been a holdover for something even older than that. Um, all right, what else have we got about this particular episode of Dr. I? Oh, you, you mentioned it. Let's go into it. Um, much better departure for a companion than Ben and Polly got. Oh, uh, goodness me, the, yes. Because at least, although it was annoying, kind of, uh, that every time we basically got a moment with Victoria, she was just whining about being scared all the time. But reasonable that that would be the sort of thing that you would build into with time and eventually just go, yeah, I can't take this anymore. But I don't don't find it annoying in Victoria's case. I mean, I think... When we were discussing the Ice Warriors, I did talk about how annoying I found Victoria's character. I feel like what she gets in this story is much more interesting because although one tends to feel more sympathetic towards the the more gung-ho characters, exemplified by Jamie, um, Mm, really, mm -hmm. the the kinds who are adventure-loving and and making the most of travelling with the doctor nevertheless it is an interesting and valid exploration to think of what it might be like traveling with the doctor if you were terrified of everything you encountered which would be a perfectly reasonable reaction to have and to be honest Mm. it would be the reaction i would have and the way that this story is written actually explores that in a in a much more interesting and sympathetic way than you necessarily see elsewhere i i yeah no i i think it was a good i think it was good the way that they took her out and i think it's good that the way they set it up what i what victoria can be a bit annoying um and it it just with that but it it does seem like we had to have an obligatory every episode Every story, this or every episode of the story, we need to have a moment where we stop, and Victoria goes into that. Why do we always have to land in scary places? Why do we always have to do this? Like, and and you know, Jamie is kind of rightly, frequently rightly, is like, well, you know, that's how it is. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, it is. That's the way it is. And but it, but uh, yeah, but it so, that is, so that is the, the way it is. The second that, time she asks, and the third time she asks, and the fourth time she asks, yes, 
they're setting quite... it up so that we know that she's she's leaving. But I guess maybe it's a li- it could have been done a little bit with a little more diversity in the way she expressed her doubts about continuing to travel with a doctor. That that's all. And, and well, I, I but I think it's I, great that they did it. That they didn't just you know write her out. And I also think it's very nice of them to say, well, you know, Victoria is never the one to save the day. How are we going to do this? All she ever does is scream. I know. <laughs> it's super. No, I totally, totally agree with you. I just think that is such a, a a genius move to have her scream defeat the monsters. I don't. I for whatever nonsense reason that it actually does the defeating. I don't care because it 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 does it does send her out on a high. It does it does give her a good send off. And as you say, that's the 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 moment has been prepared for. Which yeah. I, I think is important. It does. I'm not sure it happens as many times as you say. It does happen at least three times I can think of. For me, the key scene of those and the most beautiful scene of those is the, is the sequence in episode four where Jamie goes to sleep. I kind of like this is where I am actually. I'm again going to come back to this point about the fact that it being a six episode story means we get a pacing that I think you would lose if you were a bit more ruthless about having to move the story on all the time there is a scene where jamie goes to sleep i mean imagine that in today's chris chipnell doctor who a sequence where someone is allowed to to nod off while while victoria just sits there on the bunk saying you know are you awake jamie and doing all the why don't we ever go anywhere nice stuff but I do think it is beautifully done. And I do think that in each of those exchanges, it's written in a way that gives Victoria a a valid expression of those feelings so that you can actually sympathise with her position. Whether or not you imagine that's the way that you would react if it was you in it, you can't question that that's the way that she is feeling. And I like the fact that I mean, most of these scenes are with Jamie rather than the Doctor, but I like the fact, again, it's coming back to the, the way the relationships in this episode work and the way they are written. Jamie listens to her. And so it's a, it's a good episode for Jamie as well because Jamie absolutely comes from a different perspective. He's much more gung-ho. He's much more adventure-seeking. You know, he goes in fisticuffs first into every scene we see him going into but when victoria raises these these feelings that she's having he doesn't just dismiss them and go oh that's that's so silly i mean like 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 you say he says that that does happen everywhere but he but he doesn't he doesn't try to minimize her feelings and he doesn't try to pretend that she's not having them or that they're not in some way valid Although at one point he does, he does say something about, are you on about this again? Which is minimizing her feelings. It is, you know, it's like, I've had enough of it. Yeah. Okay. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm maybe being, I'm expressing it too strongly. It's, it's, he comes from this different perspective and that is what he is inclined to do. And it's written like that in a way, but 
he's not allowed to get away with it in the way that it is written. So he he says that at the beginning of the exchange, but the the through the dialogue that they have, she gets to she gets to express the way she feels and have Jamie appreciate that that is how she feels. And the Doctor, in fairness, because when we do get to episode six, the Doctor is very much for making her, for for letting her make her own decision. And it, it's Jamie who who is saying, you know, she she can't possibly actually want this. And the Doctor is saying it's up to her. Well, I, I think we can safely say that Jamie's position in this is at least a significant portion selfish for Jamie. Yes, definitely. He doesn't want Victoria to leave. I, I'm not sure what we can derive from that, whether Victoria is his sister or whether Victoria is a pretty girl that he's interested in and or what, but he doesn't want her to leave his life. And, and he is much... And, and we get that. Well, we get that all the time. But I mean... We, you know that that comes to its final moment there where he's talking with the doctor at the end and the doctor you know don't you think i'm fond of her too something to i forgot what his exact words were but yeah. he expresses it differently so and it does kind of it does shut jamie up basically at that moment but yeah yeah no i i i i wasn't i'm not complaining about it in much it just it was there it was coming. It wasn't a surprise. Like, oh, it's the same day we took off with you. What the heck? Let's stay. <laughs> kind of thing. Or I got a call from Gallifrey. You can't go, Sarah. You know, it was it was definitely set up much better than most. Comp or I can't take this anymore, Doctor. There's all these people dead with the Daleks. I got to go. I mean... So many, so many bad departures for, yeah. or I, I fall in love with Andred. Goodbye. <laughs> I mean, how many times have they just cheated us of the companion's yeah. departure until the last possible moment? And I assume that that's partially to do with the way they produce these things. But here, at least she got that and more power to him for that. I will say that the doctor, the doctor dumping her on the Harrises, is a pretty, um, well, it's a bit of a cheeky move. I thought <laughs> you'll take care <laughs> of her, right? There you go. <laughs> By the way, she's got no, no family, no home, no relatives, uh, and uh, and you'll also find out she has no identity papers, no birth certificate, <laughs> no so legal the, right so of get... citizenship. <laughs> The doctor's all. Well, I'm very fond of her too, but he's kind of saved himself a problem in the sense that he's been able to palm her off on someone else, and in a situation where it'd been incredibly difficult for them to say, "Well, you know, actually, actually, you know, doctor," and so it it might have been the case that you could have been left with a worry that, well, maybe Victor, Victoria won't be won't be all right because obviously, you know, she's she's quite immature and. And from another time, from and from another time, which you know is in both both aspects of that make it make her quite a vulnerable character in this. 
I think because we know something of the character of the Harrises that we feel reassured that actually she's going to be okay. But no thanks to the Doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think we're fair on that. And and I and I also think in 1968 perhaps we still lived in a world where a human being without a birth certificate could possibly f- survive <laughs> in the world. You know, now you you couldn't. Yeah. In 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 days gone by, those sort of things were not as uh you know, my my Well, I mean, you could, you could. My survive, grandparents it would, it didn't would have birth certificates. Yeah, it would be. It would. It would make you. You. You'd find yourself butting heads with the bureaucracy on a fairly regular basis until you were established. Of course, we don't know how far in the future this uh, uh, gas rig was, too. No, I. In the year I, sort of strugg- I. I struggled to get any kind of read on. Obviously, it's Earth, but yeah. any read on the period on earth other than that it obviously wasn't any earlier than 1968 right um it had to be a few years in i the think it's future. unit future yeah we, that would be the minimum i would say yeah yeah i think it's i think it's unit time so uh <laughs> probably so um anything else on the the story not the animation anything else on the story um, I I think I've probably covered all the things I've got on the story. I've got a few things on the animation. I am I'm going to preface my comments on the animation with once again, it feels like kicking a puppy. <laughs> it's like this I, this I joyful am, present absolutely... present we've been given, and I love it, and I enjoyed it, and and once again, just like when watching the faceless ones, I. I cannot tell you how long it's been since I've sat down and watched a Doctor Who episode that I had never seen before and not that long thoroughly enjoyed it ones. and thoroughly enjoyed it. Right. That, you know, I, I don't get yeah, that out of new a couple Who of weeks ago with lately. the faceless ones. Right. For, um. for, yeah. So, but apart from, why well, didn't I just mention this? But, but apart from that, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not getting that joy of love out of modern Who and, it's such a it's just such a good feeling to watch these and go gosh i really miss <laughs> i really miss this and i'm so happy to have it and oh my gosh what the heck is that character trying to do there is that a run <laughs> yeah yeah i i i mean i obviously i'm going to echo I'm, I'm not going to echo what you say about New Who because I think there are episodes that I've quite enjoyed. So, but in a way, that that's testament to how good it is to have these stories back. Because even though I'm enjoying the the new stuff, it's still wonderful to have to have this stuff, to have it back, to have it animated in some form, and it is interesting. And this is the only reason for for sort of criticizing and comparing the animation. It is interesting to look at what we've got. And what works and how it works in comparison to the... Because we've now got quite a back catalogue of episodes, animated episodes that we that we have discussed. And to think about um, what, you know, what might happen with the animations. Because for me, this is a change from the, the last three... I, I want to drop Shada out of this. The last three recovered stories 
that have been animated that have all been done in the same style. But it's not a huge departure, Mm -hmm. I think. So among the things that I noticed about this was... I said, because the big complaint that I had been having with Faceless Ones and Macra before that were to do with the way that people walked. And it seemed to me that they made quite a good job of basically telling as much of the story in close-up and mid-shot as they possibly could so that they would avoid having to show anyone walking or indeed moving any bits of their body below the neck. And I think that they are better at those kind of movements in the animation in Fury from the Deep, so in the, in the, in the big finish animation. I think as well that in almost every other respect... Is not quite as good. Not quite as good. Interesting. I mean, I I agree that the characters do not appear to be quite as, I don't want to say quite as detailed, but, you know, there are a lot of times when you'd see a shot of Jamie and Victoria, and you do look at Jamie and think, well, with his tunic and whatnot, he is very cartoonish. It's a realistic cartoonish, but it does it does kind of pop out from the screen a bit more than it has in the past. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but there is something about it. But, you know, I have two notes in here in my typed uh, dribbling. It's like, they have a different walk is the first one. And the other Hmm. one is, oh God, the running. I thought the, the running was a train wreck on a couple of shots. Well, it's better than the faceless ones. But it's quite noticeable that what they're doing with it is it's not very they I think that I so I think they've rigged the characters better. But when they they when they have these very wide shots and there are a lot more wide shots in it. Mm -hmm. So obviously they have to take more care over this. They're still only moving within certain angles within the plane as if. As if they're sort of being moved by a joystick. It looks like sprites in a video game. Their movement is all in exactly the same way. It's simply that they move ninety, they run along, change ninety degrees to the left, change ninety degrees to the right, and the motion is very, very unrealistically consistent. However, they're moving <laughs> because I think I I think that or they you know they they've rigged them and then they moved them. They haven't done any kind of tweaking or or tweening of the motion so that jars and it makes the motion less satisfying i think mm. yeah it, it's again i i'm completely fine with it there are just a couple of moments when they're like oh yeah no that didn't work <laughs> like, yeah, I, i'm still enthralled by the story but it there are moments when they turned and particularly the running the one scene when i think they were running kind of three quarter towards the camera or something and i i think that's the moment when i wrote made that note where it just it just the illusion fell apart for me for a moment it's like oh uh uh-uh, oh mm, uh-uh. <laughs> just didn't it's like no don't do that again Either either don't ever do that again, or or go back and do it differently. But it, it's it's a, it truly is a minor quibble. It, it truly is. It just like I got what they were trying to do. So there are certain things I think in the animation that do stand out, 
and do take you out of it. And they're often the same things. The thing that particularly I noticed was that everyone's arms are strangely long and there are lots of arm gestures, but the arms only move at the elbow. So the arm gestures are very, very limited, um, a bit, you know, a bit like a, a, a bad actor in a school play kind of but, thing. But they, not as bad as... told to wave their arms about. Not as bad as the Yeti. they don't actually have any fluidity. Or Ice Warriors. Well, it was, it was getting towards the Ice Warriors, I thought. I mean, it certainly, it certainly wasn't anything like as bad as the Ice Warriors. But, I mean, I, do, I, did, I did think in terms of comparison to previous episodes, to, sorry, to previous animations, I was hoping for the, the fact that this, is, that this is Big Finish animating it and therefore it's the same animation studio who made the moon base... I was hoping for something comparable Is it? to that. Yeah. I thought I thought the documentary of this said that this was a new house in India that was doing it that had not done Doctor Who before. No, no, all of the, all of the drawing, all of the design, all of the storyboarding has all been done by Big Finish. They've then farmed out the animation and the compositing to two other um companies, but the but the overall direction of it is is Big Finish previously Planet 55. And the last one that they did was the Moon Base, which I remember thinking was extremely good. And I sat watching through this thinking, is it that... It, am, I, am I thinking this isn't quite as good because I'm judging this against the standard that's been set by, as I say, the, the, the sequence from Power where we got all all six animated... Or and and you know has my memory inflated how good the moon base was? So I went back and had a look at the moon base. At absolutely no comparison whatsoever. The moon base, the quality of the animation, the quality of the motion, is just extraordinary. And if you look at some of the more difficult things, as you say in the documentary, one of the difficult things they talk about is throwing Victoria into the foam on the beach in the early mm-hmm. sequence. You compare that to when they emerge from the TARDIS and start jumping around in their spacesuits, and the, the the level of fluidity in that in that motion as their whole body moves and they they jump, it's just on another level. I wonder and if they just got better. a much less schedule, you know, a faster, tighter. Absolutely. I'm I'm certain of it because because we have to remember the these I mean I I think that I think that is probably what we have seen all the way through because I've said it before I thought that the invasion in terms of these animations the invasion set a standard that wasn't met again and we know that the invasion was funded completely differently from the others there was leftover um, BBCI money and the others all had to be funded through DVD sales. Mm. Actually, I mean, looking at the moon base now and looking at looking at the invasion, I would say the moon base perhaps even exceeded um, the invasion because the invasion is is actually very they it looks good, it looks really good, but they've got away with it by doing a lot of these same tricks mm-hmm. that the Charles Norton ones have done of 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 doing most of the action in close and mid shots. Fair and Moonbase actually does something more ambitious, but achieves it to an equivalent level to the invasion. So they were get they were getting very good there. But 
But like you say, in the moon base, they're they're animating two episodes. And as soon as we get to power, okay, they've discovered a, a slightly different model for funding them by selling the complete serial to whoever it was, some cable network in the US, wasn't it? So uh, they've got could be. I don't know. They've they've <laughs> got an additional got <laughs> they've got an additional source of funding to you know to augment the 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 DVD sales for it, and you know it being a few years later, presumably the animation is cheaper to do. But nevertheless, you can't get around the fact that they are trying to do three times as much animation for what is certainly not three times the budget. Fair enough. And I I suspect that that is still a factor in what we see in the animation of Fury from the Deep and probably a factor in the choice to farm out the animation to Digitoons rather than Planet um, Big Finish doing it in in house. Yeah, and and I you know in the interviews with the 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 people the the house in uh India, the animation house in India, they you know they've Digitoons. done yeah, they've done I guess Rick and Morty, not a cartoon I yeah. watch, it's very very popular, but it, in terms of animation quality, it's not million miles away from this stuff i don't i don't think much that's done animated in the past 20 years it's it's all very artistic and cartoony and i don't think it's very good it gets the job done but you know he well, points it, out it very correctly that they don't doesn't right it doesn't need to be realistic and yeah that is a new level of complexity that they are not used to dealing with. It found, sounded like he was saying that they've never tried to animate something in a realistic way. And, and you know, all hats off to them. They did get the job done and I'm, I'm fine with it, but you know, they're, they're certainly, they are experienced animators and I'm, I'm fine with the result. I just, I'm, I'm sure you're absolutely right. The, what, what we are, what we are looking at is, a cheaper animation this is the this is the effect that you get for producing a six episode serial on the budget that they are working within mm. whatever that is and we have seen some better stuff in the past and i suspect we will see some better stuff in the future because i think that animation will get cheaper it will be interesting to see whether I mean, I I think they will certainly. Th- these we're watching these episodes and and commenting on these episodes with absolutely great interest. We've looked at loads of animations now. I th- I think that we will see some of the same stories produced again. Oh God! I mean, <laughs> we've right, already we seen will. it. With, we've already seen it with Power of the Daleks. But uh, I, you know, I I think that because what because what we've got here, this is. This is not the 1968 Fury from the Deep. This is the 2020 Fury from the Deep. It's a different production. We talked about that as well. But that doesn't mean that there won't be a 2030 Fury from the Deep, for example, if things have advanced sufficiently by then that for, you know, if there's still the interest, there are still people willing to buy it and, and for the money that they could generate from that, they could produce something significantly better or significantly different and what i think will be interesting about that is which stories they choose to to re-release and i think it's extremely telling that power of the daleks a story that they re-released four years after it was originally released 
was the first one they did that for. And admittedly, it's slightly different from what I'm talking about because they were actually using all of the same models and and rigs and everything that they used on the original animation. So it was a, a very marginal cost to produce it. But I'm I can't see them rushing to reanimate the moon base or the invasion. I think they're going to look at the ones that are somewhat disappointing compared to those standards, like Ice Warriors. The Ice Warriors. Reign of <laughs> <Yeah>. Terror. <laughs> no, I think Reign of Terror is pretty good. I mean it's another one of the Planet fifty fives and I liked it. I you know, I'm I'm trying to project forward. I'll take a brief tangent. I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast. It, if anyone has ever seen The Mandalorian, um, it is using a technique that has not been used before. They are shooting on a 360 sound stage that is lined with, uh, I'm going to say LCD displays, but hey, it could be some other technology, but they're basically TV screens. And they are using the Unreal Game Engine. And they are projecting in real time the Unreal Game Engine worlds that they have generated for this show. So the actors are standing in a cave. The actors are standing in a landscape of ice. It reflects off of them. They light it like it's in it. it it's unbelievable what they do. And that is a game engine that you can be playing games like PUBG or Call of Duty on your iPad right now. And it does all these, the backgrounds uh, in, in real time and in full three dimensions. And if they can do that there, it's just a matter of time before the animation studios start pulling that kind of information in to do the backgrounds. And even potentially yeah, the I characters wanna, themselves. I want to say, in defense of the animations on Doctor Who, they have less money than The Mandalorian. They or, do, but... Or the, Duty, for that matter, because they don't, they, they don't have the same market for but wait, it. But wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that is not necessarily true. Those are, those are huge cost savings for them. Because the Unreal Engine, they license it. It's a matter of... It is a matter of but they've having a designer design the yes. the image. Then the computer generates it, and in every way, in every capacity that you need, at every camera angle, in real time. Obviously, you don't need to do that in real time in animation. But but the fact that the fact that they can generate a photorealistic world in real time, the the, the capacity yeah, of what we can do, do to generate with computers and quality of rendering. It's they're, they're yes. fantastic. That technology but is I don't think those are, those cheaper are and cheaper and cheaper. And obviously the horsepower needed to do it is not great if you can run it on your iPad. I agree. But I don't think the costs are associated with the computing power they're using. I think it's entirely human costs. <clears throat> well, um, you know, I, I, I'm obviously not saying that they're planning on setting up a 360 wall and, and running the characters in front of it. But the point is that the the power of computers and computer animation is outstripping the pace of most computing stuff very quickly. So uh, yeah, I think you're yes, right. But I, I suspect mean, I we'll think get the, photorealistic the, animations of these episodes within fifteen years. 
Well, I wouldn't rule it out, but I, 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 I also think there is a there's a huge cost in terms of the designing in there. I, I think the areas where, where the, because you know you, you've got to you've got to draw everything that you see on the screen. I think the areas where there may be advances because of machine learning and and the and the like are actually in creating realistic motion from animated models and you know rather than having to go through all the keyframes that you've, you for the poses that you want your characters to to walk in you can just rig them and then the animation engine might be able to actually produce all of that motion you just say travel from a to b Mm. I don't know. Um, I, I there are certainly advances to be made. I think that's uh, you know, it's coming. I don't know whether any you know that, that that falls into that realm where they've done and again it's huge budget stuff, like recreating Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher for uh, Star one. Wars Rogue One. Yeah, I know they had other actors there and then they stripped them out, um, but. You know, that that gets cheaper and easier every day. Kids on YouTube will be doing it soon. And if they aren't already. In fact, they are already. So, <clears throat> with deep fake sure, videos. Sure. So, but, it uh, is, you know, it is a question about, of time. You know, she was thinking in terms of the tiny, tiny, minuscule budgets that we're talking about here. The idea that you could hire actors to go through all of the poses and, and so forth for what would amount to essentially a three-hour production would in itself not be not be a, a you know a tiny tiny cost I, I'm, so, I, but, the, but the, still you've got you've got the possibility here we've discussed it before that if they actually planned ahead a little better you know if they if they took a if they made a 3d render of patrick troughton and they hired an actor to go through poses so that they could do the motion capture to get natural feeling motion for all the things he does. He shrugs, he talks, he, he walks, he swings his arms, he, he lifts his knees, he does all of those things. If they could carry that through from one production to the next... Well, yeah, but you're still, you're still talking about something that is, is way down the line because you, yeah. you, need, you need it in a way that means you don't, have to, you don't have to hire the actor to walk through every scene of a yes. three-hour production because that's where the costs the cost well that's i think they can i can they i think they can do that to some degree now already so uh you know it's it's a once you have the basic this is the running this is the walking this is the the drinking from a cup of water um you know there'll always be some some custom stuff that just doesn't happen but uh, i think throwing the ball in one of them was an example but anyway uh yeah they might but i just wish they would keep making the new ones and keep improving the technology uh, instead of going back and oh, redoing them will. until. I think I think we are, you know, we are again in the fortunate position of saying I, it's almost a dead certainty at the time we're recording. We have not had the next animation announced, mm. but I think it will be. I think we will get another one. It will be something that we haven't seen before, and it will be better than what we have seen so probably better than what we have seen so far i think it's arguable over whether this is this is actually better than the faceless ones because in some ways it is but you know in other and i watched most of this one in color this time and the the color is way less impressive than the faceless ones. this looks pretty good in black and white though for some reason it's 
widescreen black and white instead of four three like the faceless ones. <laughs> but the 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 color is far less convincingly done. Shall we I think say. that's also partially cartoonish. Yeah, it is. Yeah, like yeah. Jamie's it's more garish, and 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 the 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 the, 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 the muted colors in Macra and in the the faceless ones, and those the, the kind of haziness of the way that the the kind of lighting affects the color was what really impressed me about that. You got none of that in this one. It's it feels much more like colour by numbers and the colours themselves are much brighter. Not, I mean, garish is overstating it, but it doesn't, it doesn't give you that same kind of this is 1968 feeling that you'd want. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. That, that probably is my complaint that I was talking about the scenes with Jamie. That's, that, I'm not quite sure why he looks more cartoonish. It's probably the colours. Yeah. It's probably the, the brightness a, of the color difference, because it definitely looked better in black and white. Ah, mm. uh, I have, uh, I have nothing else on this. Uh, nor do I. All right. Well, in that case, um, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. Listeners, we don't know, we don't know what the next animated Doctor Who we'll be talking about is, but <laughs> evil uh, of the Daleks. But, Please be evil of the Daleks. I, I don't care if Victoria is annoying. I want to see evil of the Daleks, doggone it. <laughs> I, I, I want to see the the um, abominable snowmen, please. Oh, yeah, that if too. If we're allowed the, to choose. Yes, yes, any of that. Yep. Uh, I, I, well, I'll, I will make a call for a redo. I want Web of Fear missing episode animated back. Just throw it in on one of the other contracts. Just, you know, just do it quick anyway. Listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking at the second episode of Season 1 of Bugs with an episode entitled Assassins, Inc. <laughs>